Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8 this morning. Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8. I know these are not typical Christmas verses. Verses? Verses. Uh, but that's where we're going to be. And can we turn some lights on back there, brother? Thank you very much. Uh, I want them to be able to see their Bible. That's a good thing to be able to see the Word of God, right? And we are talking about that holy night. And I thought about the, the title of this, this series and what we'd be talking about uh, this Christmas for quite some time. And what kept coming back to me was those four words, hope and joy and peace and love. And on that holy night, on that night, that holy just means set apart, right? On that set apart night, on that night that God had intended, when the time was just right, Jesus entered the world. The hope entered the world in the form of a baby. And so this morning we're going to talk a lot about hope and what it means to have hope at Christmas. You know, I read this week that uh, every man, or almost every man in this room, uh, all of us go through four stages in life. I didn't realize this until just when I read this, but it's absolutely true for almost every one of us. The, the first stage that we all go, to, go through is that we all believe in Santa Claus. The second stage is we begin not to believe in Santa Claus, right? And then the third stage we go through is that we become Santa Claus. And then, of course, the fourth stage is we begin to look a lot like Santa Claus. <laughs> ho, 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 that's right. So there is hope in this world, even though we begin to look a little more like St. Nick. Uh, there is hope in this world for all of us. And, and we need hope, don't we? especially at Christmas time, I think we all need hope. I mean, children are hoping that they get the present that they asked for. If you're a teenager, you're hoping that you can get your driver's license or a new car very soon. You know, as we move through our stages, we, we hope that our family grows to be what we want our family to be. We hope that we get the job that we want. We hope that people will come see us at Christmas time. We hope that maybe we can go back to school some of you are hoping that, that your, your health holds on and, or, or you're hoping that the doctor can find a cure or many of us are hoping that our marriages can be uh, restored. We're, we're hoping for all of these things in our lives. We're, we're full of hope. You know, many of you are hoping to lower your golf handicap and me in particular, I'm hoping for that double digit bass, okay? So we all have hope in our lives in Christmas when we think of Christmas, it brings hope into our lives. And in our series, O Holy Night, as we look at these words of hope, peace, joy, and love, these are words that we can hold on to this Christmas season. These are words that actually mean something. Now, we're, we won't go through all the liturgy by lighting candles and, and that sort of thing, but this Advent, let's remember what it's about. It is that we are looking forward, or we are remembering, we are honoring, we are celebrating the first coming of the hope of Jesus Christ. And so this word Advent means arrival or coming, and so we are looking at the coming of Jesus. 
John says that he was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what we're celebrating. So I want to remind you of the hope of the world. The hope, as the world sees it, is a tool. You think about the way that we use hope in our vernacular, in our society today. We, we hope that our family will get better. We hope that people will come visit. We hope that we get the new job. We hope that uh, our favorite team wins the ball game, you know. We, we hope, and, and hope is a word that can spark life inside of our hearts, right? Because there is always hope for tomorrow. We hope tomorrow will be better. We hope tomorrow uh, will we'll get our goal. We hope next time or next year, we're always looking for that word hope. And you see, the problem with the world's idea of hope is that it is based on uncertainty. Because that's all we're doing is we're hoping the world defines hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And that if that is what hope means to you is that you are uh, that you have this expectation or you have this desire for a certain thing to happen, let me tell you your hope is misguided. And that's what scripture tells us that our hope is not in hoping that we have good health, hoping that the doctor gives us new good news, hoping that our marriage will be restored, hoping that we get the new job. Really all we're doing when we say that is we're making a wish. And that's not the way that it's supposed to be. If your hope is based on anything other than Jesus Christ, this Christmas or any other time for that matter, your expectation for a certain thing to happen is only a wish. And let me tell you, Wishes don't always come true. But when we put our hope in that baby that was born on that holy night, we have hope that we can stand on. We have hope that we can hold on to. We have hope, but Paul tells us that we do not hope like other people hope because our hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who answers and gives promises. Hope and light are two sides of the same coin. On the other side of that, darkness and despair are two sides to the same coin. Light and darkness cannot go together. Hope and despair cannot go together. If you, you don't have to turn there, but in, in Isaiah, we, we read about gloom and despair and agony on me. Well, that's hee-haw, right? All you young people are going, hee-haw, never heard of it. But if you're in Isaiah chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but you'll see that there, were, there was gloom and there was despair everywhere. The, the people of Judah had, had sin in their lives. They would not confess. They would not repent of their sin. And so God is bringing the Assyrian army to breathe down their necks. And there is gloom and there is despair. And it feels like there is no hope. But in the midst of that, in Isaiah chapter 9, we read that there is a hope. That there will be one who is born. And it is coming in the form of a baby that was born on that holy night who brought hope into the world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it calls this baby that would be born a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an eternal father, and the prince of peace. He is our hope. Even in the gloom and the despair of the world that we live in today, 
You look around you and there is despair everywhere we turn. And yet we have the answer. His name is Jesus. And we need to share our Jesus with a world that is hurting, that is stuck in the darkness, that fills the despair. Maybe yourself is hurting. Maybe there's despair and gloom in your own life. Maybe you yourself need the light. Maybe you're stuck in that darkness and you have no hope whatsoever. But on that holy night when it was full of darkness, hope entered the world. Jesus' arrival on this earth was a great source of hope to all people. For centuries, God's people stumbled in the darkness. They were tormented and defeated by the evil that was around them. Perhaps you know this too. You know the mistakes, the disappointments, the struggles, the failure, the sin that you've gone through. And when you're doing and going through those things, it's hard to see hope. It's hard to see light when you're in that sort of a tunnel. And do you know what's the best way to eliminate darkness? Shine the light. Bring the hope of Jesus. It's estimated, and we need to, we need to experiment and do this. I, somebody do this for me and let me know if this is actually true. It's, experiment, it, it's, uh, it's estimated that on a dark night, when there's no moon or, or uh, stars in the sky, on a very, very dark night, that if you lit a candle on a flat surface, that the normal human being could see that, camel, uh, that candle a mile and a half away. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And you know the great thing about darkness, scientifically speaking, the only definition of darkness is the absence of light. Think about that. Darkness is the absence of light. Light can shine and will shine in the darkness, but darkness cannot overcome the light. That is, darkness cannot make light not shine. No matter how dark it is, the light will continue to shine. No matter what is going on in the world around us, no matter what's going on in your family, well, no matter what's going on in your life, the light will always shine when we put our focus on that candle that was born on that holy night named Jesus. Paul tells us that our hope comes from God. Our hope doesn't come on some wish or some whim, but it comes on God. In Romans 15, he writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Oh, don't you want to abound in hope this Christmas season? Our hope comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to flesh this out a little bit. So if you have your Bible, go to my favorite Christmas verse, and that's in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite Christmas verses. I know it's not typically what we think about when we think of Jesus. We think of Mary and Joseph. But let's look in verse 4. And Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 4 tells us that when the time was right, Jesus, the Messiah, stepped into this world in human flesh. And again, at John 1.14, John says, And the flesh, and the uh, word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus stepped into the world, and when he did, he brought hope. God becoming one of us so that we can have a relationship with him brings hope, yes? That's what it does. Paul tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that the Spirit of Jesus comes into our hearts and we are immediately adopted into the family of God. That should bring you hope. Now, I don't know what kind of family you grew up with. I don't know if you grew up with a great family or a poor family. If you were a single mom or a single dad or a single child or had multiple brothers and sisters, let me tell you that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, you are adopted into the family of God. And that should bring you hope. That no matter what is going on in the world around you, you have a family that you can be anchored to. And I want you to understand that not everyone, get this, Not everyone is adopted into the family of God. Did you know that? Turn over to Romans chapter 8 and let me show you. In Romans chapter 8, look at verse 14. Again, Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You notice the first thing that's written here. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? In order to be a child of God, one must first be be in a relationship with Him. I mean, you think about it like this. Each and every one of us are created by God, amen? And we are all created in the image of God, right? But not all of us are sons of God. In order to be a son of God, we have to be born in the faith in God. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone to be born again, to be adopted into the family of God. And when we are adopted into the family of God, we become heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now just think about all of those implications for just a moment. And before we go any further, I want you, for all of my female listeners out there, don't don't be offended Because Paul says, sons of God. Because, listen to what Ray Steadman says. He says, all believers in Christ who really trust in him 
and have received the gift of righteousness by faith or sons of God. Regardless of whether they are male or female, there is no need for any differentiation of the sexes here. You see, this speaks of something that is true of our spirit, and our spirit is sexless. Spirit is not identifiable by male or female, so what is true of the human body is quite apart from what is true of the body. So don't get offended when it says sons of God. And then Paul goes ahead and tells us that we're no longer slaves. Before we become a son of God, we are a slave. Did you know that? We are slave to our human flesh. We are slaves to our desire. We are slaves to sin. And he says that now that you are an heir of God, you are no longer a slave. You have been redeemed. You have been bought with a price. And when you are tempted or you are in the act of sin, you need to remember whose you are. How many of you told your kids that when they left for a date or they went out with their friends on a Friday night as they walked out the door? I can tell you, I told my girls more than once, remember whose you are. And I wasn't talking about me being her daddy. Remember whose you are. You are a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whether you sin um, or don't sin, he's telling us to remember who you are. And whether you do what you think you should not do or you're doing what you don't think you should be doing, either way, he says, remember Remember, he says, the way to handle yourself is to remind yourself of what God has made you to be, a son of God, an heir and co-heir with Christ. In the struggle we all have with sin, we are not a slave struggling against this evil master. And that's how sometimes we look at sin in our lives. As, oh, it's got this hold on me. And it's this evil master that I cannot overcome. Hogwash, you are a child of You are an heir of God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You can overcome, not because of your own will or your own strength or your own determination, but because you are a child of God with the Spirit of God living within you. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. You hear that? No dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under God grace of God gives you the power to say no to that sin in your life. God's grace made us sons of the living God, and it has given us the ability to live in a way that would honor our Lord and Savior. And nothing can change that. And I find hope in that, don't you? Oh, this is a message of hope that as heirs of God, we can make a difference in our own lives through the Holy Spirit. This is what hope is and why we celebrate Christmas without God's intervention. We were all slaves bound by our sin nature without hope of eternal life because of God's great love for us. He came down, he redeemed us, he rescued us through Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. The Bible says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that today? 
Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you joined? Have you been born again? Have you been adopted into the family of God? And when a person does this, when you trust in Jesus alone, his sacrifice allows you to be free from the chains of shame and guilt and sin and become a part of God's family. Oh, I don't care what your family used to look like. When you trust in Jesus, you're a part of a new family, the family of God. So what does it mean to be adopted? into God's family. Well, the Bible uses two words here. Sometimes we, re, re, we read that we must be born again, right? We must be born again into the family of God. In, in, in John chapter 3, for instance, uh, Nicodemus, he's one of the religious leaders, and he sneaks to Jesus at night, and he sneaks uh, so nobody can see him because he wants to find out, is Jesus really who... He thinks Jesus is. And, and Nicodemus and Jesus, and they're having this conversation, and, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, you got to be born again, old Nick. And Nick said, hey, ain't, ain't happening. Don't you know anatomy? You can't climb back up to mama's room, right? And Jesus said in verse 6, no, 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 you don't understand, Nick. You need to be born again of the Spirit. Our spirit needs to be born again. That's where we become sons of the living God. So Jesus says, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born of the spirit of God. And being born again is an act of God in which he imparts eternal life on those who believe and makes us his children. So when we talk about being born again, it is an act that we commit. It is a step that we take. Adoption is a metaphor. So when we but become born again and we take that step, God adopts us into his family. So we are both born again and we are adopted into the family of God. Now, why does God use both of these words? He wants to highlight some different aspects of our belonging to his family. First, you and I are not naturally a part of the family of God. Did you know that? We are born at enmity with God. That means we are born against God. We are born to our natural family is Adam. Adam is our father. And he is our natural family. And what did we inherit from Adam? Sin and shame and guilt. And so we are not automatically in the body of God, in the, the family of God. We belong to a human family, and we inherit, inherit this sin nature. Adam's disobedience was passed along to us by natural birth. So by nature, we're not a part of God's family. By adoption, God has taken us out of our natural state in Adam or through the Holy Spirit and made us legally sons of God. And we become a permanent part of his family. And no one or nothing can ever take you from his family. So the Bible reminds us that we are in God's family by adoption so that we might take it, might not take it for granted. We do that, don't we? We sometimes forget that we were once enemies of God. But now, because we have been born again and adopted into his family, we cannot forget that. 
And there is nothing more wonderful to remind ourselves of morning by morning and day by day than this great fact. If you are a Christian, you are a son of the living God, adopted and born into the family of God. That should bring us hope. Because you are his son. God loves you. God protects you. God provides for you. God plans for you. God hears you. God claims you. He openly acknowledges you. God chastens you. He corrects you. And God honors you. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. All of that is true because you are his child. Doesn't that bring you hope? There's one more ray of hope I'd like for us to see. You and I, when we become a part of God's family, in both of these passages, Paul tells us that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. That's what it means to be adopted into his family. That we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Notice the progression of how it works. First, we are born into the family of Adam and have inherited his sin and shame and guilt. Then we are born again by the Spirit and adopted into the family of God. This adoption gives us the ability to defeat sin and shame and guilt. But plus, once adopted into God's family, nothing or no one can ever take us out of his hands. And then we learn that we are adopted into his families. That means that we have all the rights, all the privileges, and all the possessions that Jesus has. That's pretty huge, isn't it? The word heir, it means to receive your allotted possessions by sonship. Since God has made us his children, we have all the rights to receive the inheritance that Jesus receives. And in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, it tells us that Jesus will inherit all of creation. And as a co-heir, you too will inherit all of creation. Listen. You are a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And everything will be made available to you on that day. As co-heirs, we will share in the inheritance of Jesus. What belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Think about the musical Annie. Everybody knows Annie, right? Annie when she moved out of that orphanage into the Warbucks, Warbucks mess, mansion. That was an incredible change for her, wasn't it? She went from a caretaker who was an alcoholic and spiteful and mean and ugly, and she entered into a relationship with a caring father, adopted. She goes from having nothing to having a fortune at her disposal. The hard knock life is overcome by the brightness of a sunny tomorrow. And seen from our perspective, a Christian perspective, Annie pictures what being a co-heir with Jesus means. We go from having nothing to having all of creation at our disposal. Wow. Read verse 17 again, Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What is Paul talking about? Is Paul telling us that we have to suffer in order to gain these possessions? Do we have to suffer in order to be an heir? Is that what Paul is telling us here? No. 
What Paul means is that by sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, we are also going to share in his glory. Oh, what a day that will be, yes? When we get to share in the glory of Jesus. We don't share in the suffering Jesus experienced on the, on the cross. You think about that. On the cross, it wasn't the nails and the thorns on his head that hurt him the most. What hurt Jesus the most is that his father had to turn his back on him because every sin of every person who has ever lived was placed upon him all at one time. And God the Father said, I can't, Lord. We're not going to have to to share in that kind of suffering. We don't have to participate in that sort of thing. We share with him the opposition of the world he suffered for. And we do share in that suffering, don't we? The world is pushing us back. It's telling us to get in our corner and stay there as Christians. God, Jesus told us, hey, listen, this is nothing to be surprised about. I told you it's going to happen in this world. There's going to be troubles and tribulations. So be prepared. And when we're prepared and when we remain faithful in our work with Jesus, through all these times of suffering and trial, we can, pro- we can set our mind and focus on the promise that we will share in his glory someday. Oh, what a day that'll be. As a part of God's family, we share in the trials, but we also share in the benefits. Now, i say my favorite for last. In Galatians, it says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And in Romans, Paul writes, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, it's on the screen. Peter writes, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now what in the world is Peter talking about? Divine nature. What does that mean? To be partakers of the divine nature. He gives us a clue there, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter is promising us, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those of us who can call ourselves sons of God, he is telling us that we will be like God. Now be careful. Hear me well. I'm not saying that we're going to be divine. I'm not, going to, I'm not saying that we're going to be some sort of deity like some of the cults out there. If I die and live a good enough life, I'll get my own planet. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay? But he says that we will be like God, not in every aspect of the divine nature. We will share in the divine nature in that we will be morally perfected. What a day that'll be! That there is a day coming where there will be no more sin. And we will be like God because we will not be able to sin in heaven. So here is the big question. If Peter is right, and I read this in the Greek, it says, listen, we are partakers. It is a present tense. Did you know that? So he's telling us now we are partakers of the divine nature. So does that mean that even now I can be morally perfect? Theoretically, yes. 
because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, because we have the King of Kings, because we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, because we have the very Spirit of God living in us, yes, theoretically speaking, we can kill our flesh off totally and completely and live a morally perfect life in the power of the Holy Spirit. But our flesh is so strong, isn't it? Our own desires, that old nature, that old family, the family of Adam, has such a hold on us, doesn't it? And that's why it's so important to remember whose we are. We are a son, a daughter. We are heirs of God Almighty and co-heirs with Christ. And when we remember those things, when it comes time that that sin, that same temptation, that habit, that thing that comes into your life that you just can't get rid of and you say, oh, well, it's a master over me and I can't defeat it. Remember, you are a child of God. You have all the power, all of the ability, not because of your desires, not because of your intelligence, not because of your strength, but because of Jesus Christ, whose spirit lives in you. will become like God. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. I mean, we hear this word sanctification all the time, right? To become more and more like Jesus. To have more and more of that divine nature living out in us and through us. We will become like God and are becoming like God because we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires. You want to be more like Jesus? Put those sinful desires behind. Yes, Christmas brings hope. The baby in the manger brings hope. Jesus, the light of the world, brings hope. And when you feel like you are shrouded in darkness, remember that is when the light shines the brightest. Put your hope in Jesus, in Him alone. And if you haven't done that, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when that piano plays, their invitation is to you to come. Put your faith in Jesus, who is the hope and light of the world. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you're just right where you are. Maybe you are feeling the, the gloom the despair, the darkness in your own life. Maybe you're feeling that even now. And right where you're sitting, you can just turn to the person of hope, Jesus. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who brings us hope. He is our hope. Everything else.